The scripture reading this morning is from uh, second chapter of Acts, verses 36 through 47. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and your children, and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Would you bow your heads and quiet your hearts as we pray? God, we just want to thank you for the gift of salvation. We don't want to take it lightly, and we thank you that we can be gathered here together, that we can worship you corporately. Help us that we wouldn't take it for granted. There's many countries where this can't happen. And we just pray and thank you that your spirit has been here, and we pray that your spirit would move as we um, are about to hear the message. We pray that you would bless Pastor Norb as he delivers it. We pray that you would prepare our hearts for what we're about to hear. We pray that we would be impacted by what we hear and that we could use it to impact those around us, those in our family, those in our community. God, we just ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Robin. Robin and his wife, Bettina, and three children have been attending TCC since uh, some time in December, I think, so about four months. So welcome to you. Well, we have started Uh, A new series of messages last Sunday, Pastor Ken started us off and just simply titled Making Best Choices. And we got started on this journey with a message about choosing to celebrate the day. Simply uh, a good reminder for us to have our attitudes reflect that of God the Father, to approach life always from uh, a place of joy. This is the day, the psalmist says, that you have made, and I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I just wonder sometimes if we actually woke up every day and acknowledged that that day, that very day that lies before us, is a gift from God, and, uh, and that we would just rejoice in it. 
Not fret over the things that we don't know are going to happen or the things that we have to do, but just start in that place where we take great joy in the day that God has blessed us with. I have the privilege this morning of presenting to you the choice to follow. And this may be the most important choice that you make. Because when you choose to follow Jesus, everything changes. But I want you to make no mistake about it, as you'll see in a few moments, that there is a cost to following Jesus. And so I want us just to think about this compelling command. Follow me. It sounds a little bit like an invitation, and and in a sense it is. You know, come, follow me. But really, at its core, it's a command. It was a command that used, when we were first introduced to it, when Jesus used it to call his first disciples. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus sees two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're fishing, and so he calls out to them, Come, follow me. I don't know what tone he used, but it was clear that they got the message because the scripture says that they immediately, they just left their nets, they just walked away from it, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus sees two other brothers, James and John. Now, they're actually out in a boat with their dad, preparing their nets, getting ready to fish. And Jesus calls out to them, come, follow me. And they too dropped everything, left their boat and their father, standing there probably in somewhat bewilderment, and they followed Jesus. Jesus uses other images and other details to explain what it means to be his disciples. But the most basic of all, I believe, is this compelling command, follow me. Now, I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, and I I just wanted you to get a sense of why I thought of the word compelling. You see, because it's not necessarily just our choice to follow Jesus. God places within us a desire and a longing to respond to him. And so then we're, 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 it, there's this, this internal burning desire that we are compelled, as it were, to follow him. But when somebody says to you, come, follow me, and you have no interest whatsoever, that's an easy one. Well, no, why would I follow you? But Jesus, not only because of the way about which he would, uh, would ask, but because of the Holy Spirit at work in this process, he just draws us to himself. You'll find this command, follow me, 13 times in the Gospels alone. And then references to following Jesus or following one who follows Jesus throughout the New Testament. Matthew records the details of his own calling in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew, as you may know, was a tax collector. He was hated by the Jewish people because he was seen to be a partner of the Romans, collecting taxes on their behalf. And so one day, Jesus comes along and sees Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he simply says to him, follow me. There's no record of any small talk or any conversation, just those compelling words, follow me. And what did Matthew do? Well, he got up and followed him. And so then they went to Matthew's house where Matthew was celebrating this new relationship that he had entered into with his fellow tax collectors and some other friends who the Bible, who the, the writer just simply labels as sinners. While the Pharisees protested, they 
were asking Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, Jesus hears this and he says this, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In other words, this command wasn't then just an invitation to kind of come and hang out with Jesus, to, to be his friend, to see him do some cool miracles, or even to learn more about him, sort of to help you decide if you wanted to follow him permanently. No, it was clearly an invitation to turn from sin to salvation, to be healed by God. And as I thought a little bit more about these two words, follow me, I couldn't help but think that understanding these these two words would help me and help us this morning realize what it really means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because I knew that discipleship meant following Jesus in a personal and costly way. You see, I wonder if sometimes we haven't made it sound easy to believe in Jesus. And we haven't made the cost of following Jesus clear enough. Perhaps we have too often just said, oh, you know, you just need to believe and you're going to be saved without fully explaining what it means to believe. If we believe in Jesus, we will be saved. There's no question about that. But if by believe we are simply kind of nodding our head in agreement or accepting idea then we probably have not fully understood what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ or to believe in Jesus. Even demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So there has to be more to this. A follower of Jesus, a a true Christian then, is someone who trusts in, relies on, and is fully committed to Jesus Christ himself. It becomes a complete commitment of our life to Jesus. It's not just an insurance policy. It's a complete devotion and focus of our lives. And I want to expand on this a little bit more because I think it's so important that we absolutely understand this. And I want us just to look at five elements of what it means to follow Jesus. Five words that I hope will help us kind of understand more fully what Jesus uh, meant when he said, follow me. And the first word is simply this, obedience. Now this might not be overly popular and sometimes obedience is seen negatively. Because sometimes when we think of obedience, we we often associate with an abuse of power. Now, as I said, follow me, it does have an element of invitation, but it really is a command. Too often we have said to people who wonder what it means to be a Christian, well, just follow Jesus. And then we then expect that everything's going to be good and they're going to be happy and life is going to be easy. But any of us who have walked with Jesus and have wanted to live in obedience and to walk that out on a daily basis, knows that there are times where you have to then make decisions to obey or not to obey that can be extremely difficult, challenging, hard, and even costly. In Jesus' time, 
when he invited people to follow him. It meant leaving their nets, their boats, their livelihoods, their counting tables, sometimes even their families, and absolutely anything else that was distracting them from following Jesus. I don't think it's an overstatement to say that without obedience, there's really no genuine Christianity. Sure, there might be some fans of Jesus who out of self-interest kind of view from the sidelines but lose interest when the cost of following Jesus becomes clear. Now, that probably shouldn't surprise us because even people in the Bible, people that had encountered Jesus in the flesh, they did that. When the rich young ruler who was told what he had to do in order to inherit eternal life and Jesus told him what the cost was, he turned away. He couldn't follow Jesus. He decided that for him, the cost was too great. In John chapter 10, Jesus describes his relationship with his followers as a shepherd and a sheep. It's a great image for us to understand the relationship that we would have with Jesus as our Lord and Master. It's a sheep with a shepherd. And the sheep hear the shepherd's voice. And when they hear his voice, they respond to his voice because there's, there's just sort of an instinctive tuning in to his voice. And so like sheep, we too hear and obey his call and we follow him. So to follow Jesus means, first of all, to obey him. Another element captured in the command, follow me, is repentance. Repentance. You see, Matthew knew that he was a sinner. So for him to respond to this command, follow me, it meant to turn from what he was doing and leave behind all that he was doing. This is what Jesus emphasized in his preaching from the very beginning. In fact, in Matthew and Mark and in Mark's Gospels, before even calling his first disciples to follow him, Jesus is found preaching a message of repentance. Repentance is a great word that simply even means to turn 180 degrees away. Oftentimes it might be associated with changing our mind or changing the way we think, and so our thinking is radically altered in repentance. In Luke's Gospel... Again, the the situation unfolds, except this time it's in the middle of Jesus' miraculous intervention while they fished. And in that situation, they caught so many fish that their, their, their nets began to rip apart when they were trying to haul this big massive catch, this massive haul of fish into the boat. And this is when Peter was suddenly awestruck by Jesus' holiness And he just simply cries out, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. The point is this. It's impossible to follow Jesus without repentance. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus is the holy, sinless Son of God. He had never taken a single step in any sinful direction. He never had a single sinful thought. And so it's obvious, isn't it? Anyone who would then follow him, they too, by definition in a sense, must turn away from sin and set their face towards righteousness. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that a follower of Jesus will never sin. Of course they do. 
But when they do, they very quickly confess, repent, and turn away from it. So we simply can't say, I'm following Jesus, but then not also turn from sin. Eugene Peterson, in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, great title, isn't it? Writes this, Repentance is not an emotion. It is not feeling sorry for our sins. It is a decision. It is deciding that you have been wrong and supposing that you could manage your own life and be your own God. It is deciding that you were wrong in thinking that you had or could get the strength, education, and training to make it on your own. It is deciding that you have been told a pack of lies about yourself and your neighbors and your world, and it is deciding that God in Jesus Christ is telling you the truth. Repentance, he writes, is a realization that what God wants from you and what you want from God are not going to be achieved by doing the same old things, thinking the same old thoughts. Repentance, he says, is a decision to follow Jesus Christ and become his pilgrim in the path of peace. That's a great little description, isn't it? Repentance, then, is a decision to follow Jesus Christ, that means turning away from everything else, and become his pilgrim, to be a follower on this path of peace. So there's obedience, there's repentance. There's another word that helps us understand what it means to follow Jesus, and it's the word submission. All of us sort of gulp a little bit at that word in so many different contexts. In so many ways, it's even worse than obedience. But to follow Jesus implies that we will also submit to him. Jesus describes submission as putting on of a yoke. So so this suggests, among other things, that when we submit to Jesus, it's because of the work that he wants to do in us and through us. And so the picture is of, a, is of oxen. They're yoked to others together, as well as to a piece of farm equipment, probably a plow or something like that, designed to now do some work. Submit comes from the Latin words sub, meaning under, and mito, meaning to put or to place. And so submission then means being placed under the authority of another. And so the question then simply becomes, if Jesus is our King and our Lord, then how can we not submit to him? How can we not then ask, Jesus, what is your will for my life? So to follow Jesus means then to submit to Jesus. I know I didn't fully understand that because my will was to do my way and to do my thing. And it wasn't until I was kind of confronted with this truth that, look, if you're going to follow Jesus, it's still not just about going out and doing your own thing. And for me, it was about career and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to achieve and the success that I wanted. But when I just stepped back and simply asked that dangerous question, Jesus, I'm sorry for taking matters into my hands, own hands and doing my own thing. What is it 
that you want me to do with my life. If you're in high school here and you haven't prayed that prayer, you need to pray that prayer. It's a dangerous one because the answer may not be what you expected. But if you're going to follow Jesus, even your career paths, plans, need to then be submitted to his will. So to follow Jesus then also means to submit to Jesus. Fourth word that we'll look at this morning, this fourth element involved in following Jesus is simply trust. Just realize that's really hard to read, isn't it, somewhat? Just the dark background there, but I'm sure you're able to follow along. But it's impossible to follow Jesus without also trusting him. Because a lack of trust will cause us oftentimes to choose to leave him, right? Life gets incredibly hard and difficult and we, we just can't make sense of it. And things, as it seems, aren't going my way. They're not going the way I think they should go. And life is hard. And things aren't coming together the way I thought they would be coming together. We've got a choice. Do we continue to follow Jesus? Do we continue to trust him even in those hardships and those challenges? Or do we then just walk away from him? So to put our our faith in Jesus, we're talking about obedience, we're talking about repentance, we're talking about submission, and we're talking about trust. We can't follow Jesus without trusting him. Trusting that he knows best. Trusting that he is good. Trusting that he loves us unconditional. Trusting that he has plans and purposes for us that we can't even imagine sometimes. And so that takes me to the last and fifth word. Perseverance. Perseverance. Following Jesus also involves perseverance. Or maybe another word, and it's not a very theological word at all. It's stick to Just sticking to it. Because following Jesus is not an isolated act. It's not done once and for all and never to be repeated. We have to stick with it. Following Jesus is a lifelong commitment that is not fulfilled until the race is won, the final barrier crossed, the crown received, and then all of the rewards laid gratefully at the feet of Jesus. Following Jesus is not only a door to be entered, but a path to be followed. And the true disciple proves the reality of his discipleship by following the path to the very end. That's why Eugene Peterson's book on discipleship, because we often look at following Jesus in sort of an instant gratification society. We want everything quick. And he says, no, 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 no. It is a long obedience in the same direction. And so it requires patience, perseverance, stick-to-itiveness. David wrote about this in Psalm 119. It's a very long psalm if you've ever read it lately, but there's a section that begins at verse 105. And these words are familiar to me because uh, we often used to sing a, a chorus along these lines, but the, cor- the verse is this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And we all know that verse, and we probably have heard it or seen it in some way or another. But as I read that 
passage of scripture. I just kept reading to see the context. And the amazing thing is, in just a few verses later, it ends with these words. The psalmist saying, My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Don't you love that? So it's not only realizing that in the here and now, your word is going to shine a light onto my path and it's going to reveal to me the way that I should go as long as I trust and that I persevere and stay on this journey. And there might be dark corners ahead, but there's light. comes from your word. And it shines onto my feet and it lights up to my path. But my heart, is going to be set on keeping your decrees. I'm going to live in obedience to the very end. So following Jesus means we stick with him to the very end. And if you're questioning right now, you're wondering, you know, where is God in my life right now? Maybe you're just in one of those curves in the pathway that you can't see too far ahead. It's dark around that corner. Can I just encourage you to to just stick with it? Continue to trust him? And while it may seem bleak and dark and you, you got a horrible health report or you're dealing with illness in your family or whatever it is, just come back to this. Trust. Trust in God. So to follow Jesus means to obey him. To follow Jesus means to repent and turn to him. To follow Jesus means that we submit to him. To follow Jesus means to trust him. And to follow Jesus means to persevere in him. Robin read for us a passage of scripture in Acts, and this is kind of like a fighter jet just flying in, doing a touchdown, and taking off right away. We're not going to get into this at all. But the context of those verses was Peter was speaking and preaching to the crowd. And he talked to them there about Jesus' death and resurrection and how they were witnesses of it and how David prophesied about it, that Jesus was in fact the promised Messiah. And Peter doesn't mince words. He says, this is Jesus whom you crucified. But he also made it clear that it was part of God's unfolding plan. But there's a verse 37. There's uh, this. It it just captured me as 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 Peter's preaching. It was the Holy Spirit that pierces their hearts. He cuts their hearts, and, and and they're astonished because they realize that they had missed it, that they had in fact crucified Jesus the Messiah. So what must we do, they asked. Repent and be baptized, they replied. Now this doesn't at all imply that people can be saved without having faith in Jesus Christ because the need to believe is implied both in the command to repent and also in the command to be baptized. But when he told them this, something incredible happened as the Holy Spirit moved among this large crowd. Did you catch it? About... 3,000 people repented and were baptized. Now you might think, well, there must have been already a fairly large group. 
At this time, there was about 120 followers of Christ Acts lays out. Now that's exponential growth, right? 120, 3,000. Now what do we do with all of these people who are just walking and, and, and coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Even though Peter used different words, repent and be baptized, I think that there's a parallel here to what Jesus was doing when he calls his disciples to follow me. And so now they're left going, well, now how do we follow Jesus? What do we do? And the scripture just goes on and says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They, they needed to learn and to grow. They understood the importance of community and being together and eating together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They broke bread together. They remembered Christ's death through the elements of a, of a bread and a piece of bread and a cup. Now, there's so much more that could be said about this, but I want to draw this to just two quick applications this morning. And it's this. As a church, we practice two ordinances, as it were, or sort of, I don't like the word ceremony or ritual or anything like that, but it's, it's a practice that we have. For your background, some of your background, you might call them sacraments. And in our context, in our understanding of what the Bible teaches about this, there's two One is baptism, and one is the Lord's Supper. Baptism is a symbolic act. When the person being baptized goes down into the water, it symbolizes a dying to to our old self. And then when they're under the water, fully under the water, immersed, the old self, in essence, is buried. And then they come back up out of the water. It symbolizes being resurrected to new life in Christ. So that's why when we baptize at TCC, we baptize adults or believers, I should say. People who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and can articulate that. And I I suppose many of you have been at a baptismal service. There's lid right here, it lifts off, and there's a a tank there and it's filled with water. And, And when we baptize, we fully immerse into the water so that they come up out of the water. And that's a phrase, in fact, that that Jesus described, or was used to describe Jesus' own baptism. He came up out of the water. And And the other reason we understand baptism to be full immersion is because the Greek word for baptize means to dip or to immerse or to submerge. But baptism is a public opportunity to declare, in essence, that you are now a follower of Jesus Christ. And as I thought about this and was just kind of putting these two things together between understanding Jesus' call and what it means to follow him, I thought about all of those elements that we went through, and I think they're captured in baptism. When we say, I want to follow Jesus, it means that we should be obedient. Jesus himself set an example and was baptized. And then he told his followers, now continue to baptize other people as well. And so if you're a follower of Jesus and you've not been baptized, I want you to think about that. What, is, what are you saying when you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not going to do what he said and what he did? Repentance. When people are baptized, they give testimony of turning from their old way of life and living a new way of life in Jesus. Submission, right? We're dying to ourself. That's what the the whole baptism experience 
what it, what it represents. It's dying to ourself and then living for Jesus. There's trust involved because you're saying now, I'm going to trust God with my life. I'm publicly declaring that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And there is even perseverance. Because a lot of times people think, oh, you know what? I've been a follower of Jesus for two years or five years, even ten years. But I've never been baptized because I've, I've never thought that I'm good enough. You don't have to be good enough to be baptized. You just need to say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to follow him. Simply put, if you are declaring yourself to be a follower of Jesus, then you should be baptized. That is that you believe by faith that Jesus is God's son and he died on the cross for your sins. And now you're prepared to follow him in obedience and repentance and submission and trust and perseverance. You see, if that's true of you, there's really no reason for you not to be baptized. At least probably no good reason for you not to be baptized. And so if you're wrestling with that, if, you're, if you are sure that you've come to faith in Jesus Christ and you want to follow him, you want to live that out, that commitment out the rest of your life, and you've never been baptized, I would love to talk with you because I know that you're going to probably have some reservations. You're going to have some questions. And that's all cool. We'll talk through that. But for some reason, I have never felt so strongly or felt such a compelling urge to say to you this morning that if you have yet never put your faith in Jesus Christ, that you have not said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and by believing you're saying, I'm ready to give my life to him and to follow him wholeheartedly. And if that is true of you, and you haven't been baptized, then you really should be. Because in every documented New Testament case where someone came to faith in Jesus Christ, they were immediately baptized. Okay? Back to the scene in Acts. What must we do? We've come to faith. We believe. What must we do now? He says, well, rep- repent and be baptized. And they were. They didn't go home. They didn't go to a course. They didn't think, well, let me, give, let, let me take some time to think about it, and a month goes by, or six years goes by, or whatever. They just, no, I am going to be baptized on that day. We have a baptism scheduled for June 22nd, and so far we have one person who is prepared to, to say, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. But I suspect that there are many more who have not been baptized. And if you've not, you seriously, seriously need to think about being baptized. Come talk to me. The other application this morning when we talk about following Jesus is the Lord's Supper. We're going to gather around these elements right now. I'm going to invite those who are serving these elements with me to come. I think the worship team will also take their place, but I want to just say a little bit more about this as they all come. These elements, there's just a small cup of grape juice. And it just symbolizes, it's symbolic, it represents Jesus' blood that he shed on the cross. And then there's 
a small piece of bread. And that bread represents his body. Jesus himself instituted this and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in repentance of, uh, do this in repentance and in remembrance of me. This morning, we might be speaking to some of you or I might, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, I want you to think about this. Where are you at this morning? Is this about a new start for you? That you've maybe never have fully put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Without maybe understanding the cost of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Then maybe today, as you're thinking about that, and if you've never put that, you can just let these elements pass. In fact, it's more important that you let the elements pass than if you just take them um, without really fully appreciating and understanding what it means personally for you to understand that Jesus gave his life for you. So take the time to think about that. Ask those questions. And maybe for some of us, it's a fresh start. Maybe we go back to the time we say, yeah, I put my faith in Jesus Christ, but obedience, yeah. I struggle. Trust. I've had a really hard time believing that God's in control of all things. Whatever it is. And so, as these elements are being distributed, that you would just hang on to those elements and think about that. Think about what, it, what the call that Jesus Christ is extending to you. Follow me. I hope you know what it looks like. That there's a cost but it's so worth it. I'm going to ask Corey to come and pray and give thanks for the bread and for the, uh, and for the cup. Lord, we want to thank you for what these two elements mean in terms of the choices that, uh, that, that we have to make and the, the opportunity to follow you. And Lord, as we take this bread and this cup, we're reminded that uh, right from the very beginning of time, you, you had a plan. And uh, you had the power to follow through on that plan. And right from the very beginning of time, you loved us. And you said, I, I want a relationship with, with, with these people, with, 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 with me. And right from the very beginning of time, you knew that we were going to reject you. And right from the very beginning, you said, I'm going to follow through, regardless of what these people choose to do with this relationship of me. You knew that we would selfishly push you away, and yet you had a plan. And these elements, this bread, this cup, they remind us of of your plan and your willingness and your choice to give up your throne at heaven, to come and to be born in a barn, to live a very simple life, and then to be beaten and ridiculed and finally nailed to a tree. That was your choice. And you chose to fulfill your plan. (laughs) And because you made that choice, I too get to make a choice. I can choose to live in new relationship with you.
And this morning, Lord, as we take this bread and this cup, we renew our commitment to, to make that choice. To, to submit to you. To repent. We, we renew our commitment to that choice. To follow you no matter what. And Father God, because of that, that choice you made, I get to experience a new level of hope. I get to experience um, and, and live in new life. So Father, as we take this cup, and as we eat this bread, we pray that you would bless it. In Jesus' name, amen.